Hey, would you take your Bible this morning? Would you open to 2 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Thank you, Rebecca. Can you honor Rebecca? She is... She's our favorite keyboard player, music director, administrator, and dot, 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 dot. There's so much more that she does, her and her mom. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Last week, I began to talk a little bit about the fear of the Lord. And this morning, I'm just really feeling to go a little deeper, a little further in what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord. And... Let me find 2 Corinthians. I've got a new Bible, and you know how you get new money and like the pages stick together? What'd I say? 2 Corinthians. Thank you, Steve. What's that? Oh, I can't hear what you're saying. I'm sorry. Thank you, Steve. That's helpful. Appreciate it. Can somebody tell me what happened to my iPad? Okay. Everything is highlighted suddenly. Okay. It's all right. We're going to go. So now I know I asked you to turn to 2 Corinthians, but I'm actually going to quote Mark 12, verse 30, because Mark 12, verse 30 is a very famous verse, and it's the greatest commandment. It's to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. That's Mark 12, 30. So did God leave anything out in that? No, it's all, it's all of you. Every part of you. So all of us are called to love him. But here's the thing is that the fear of God comes out of that love. The love that you have for him is what produces the fear of God in you. The more that you love him, the more you desire to do the things that he likes, the more you desire to, um, to, to like what he likes and to hate what he hates. We talked a little bit about that last week, about the hate of sin in us. And so I want to go a little deeper in this because God, does, God doesn't have love. He is love. It's, it's the very character of God. It's who he is. He's, he's, he's not just you know, heart, little hearts and, and rainbows. He is love, love personified, right? So, so let's look at 2 Corinthians because there's a reason I want to look at this verse in 2 Corinthians 5. Yeah, suddenly everything's not highlighted anymore. Praise God. Okay, let's look at verse 14. Verse 14 and verse 15 says this, for the love of Christ compels us. Everybody say that, for the love of Christ compels us. What does it compel you to do? Because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Everybody catch that? Should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So what love does is it compels you to begin to to no longer live sin consciously, but now to live God consciously. It compels you to come out of where you were because you were born again and you know that that old man is dead and to come into new life, new resurrection, right? So you're going to live differently. 
Do you remember what it was like when you first got born again and suddenly your heart was convicted over different things and suddenly you wanted to give up this, you wanted to change this, wanted to talk differently, wanted to change your vernacular, the way that you were saying things, the way that you were doing things? Why? It's because now I have a new love. I used to love over here, but now I love him more. So I used to live over here in the kingdom of darkness and there was a way of operating, there was a way of functioning in this kingdom, but when I got saved, I came over into a different kingdom. Now I'm no longer in the old kingdom, I'm in a brand new kingdom. And guess what? There's a new flow of operation. Like Dan was talking about with giving, giving now suddenly takes on a whole new light because I understand that in the kingdom of God, giving is what sowing seed is what causes a harvest in my life so that I have more to give more seed so that I'm able to continually be a blessing you know, I heard one minister say it this way that in order for the pipe to constantly be giving out the pipe has to be full I did something we were I, Nicole wanted me to help in the yard and that's always exciting because she's a planner and I never know what the plan is going to be until that day and so I had my axe out and I'm cutting roots off of this big stump. We took out these big bushes and say huge stumps in our front yard. But we want to plant other things. So we had to get this out. So I'm taking the axe and I'm cutting off the extra, you know, the little shoots of, of roots. And so I, I swing this one time and a bunch of water starts coming up. Yeah, clean break on the uh, watering system there. The sprinkler, yeah, it was great. So, but love compels us. I don't know why I told that story, but it just happened this week. But anyway, love compels us to live differently. It compels us not to no longer be that slave to sin, but to live holy as he is holy, right? So the fear of the Lord flows from the love that you have for him. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a bunch of scriptures and I encourage you, you can write them down. If you want to, you can try and turn to all of them. But I'm going to give you a bunch this morning, okay? Because we need the fear of God. And I want to answer that question first. Why do we need the fear of God? It's in Proverbs 14, verse 27. It says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. If you translate that in the Hebrew, that word fountain means source. The fear of the Lord is the source of life to turn one away from the snares of death. So it takes you out of that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. The fear of God is what purifies our motives. Think about that one. It's what purifies our motives. Do you remember Ananias and Sapphira? Ananias and Sapphira were, were watching as this amazing thing was taking place in the church as it's getting started. And people are selling land, selling property that they own, and they're giving all the money to the church to bless other people with. And it said that the church had no needs anywhere in the church. Isn't that amazing? Because everybody was bringing all of their, all their money from the sales of their properties and they were giving it. Well, Ananias and Sapphira are watching this and they see, they see uh, uh, Barnabas do it. And so they decide, you know, you know what? Let's do it, but let's keep some of the money back, but we'll tell them that we're given all of it. And so they decide they sell some land and they sell this property and suddenly they hold this money back and they bring it all to the church. But there was a problem. The Holy Spirit saw it and he revealed it to Peter. 
And Peter asked them, gave them an opportunity to fess up and to tell the truth. It, is this all the money? And they said, yes. And he said, how can you lie to the Holy Spirit? He only knew that by the Holy Spirit. So then what happened? Both of them died. But scripture goes on to say that great fear came on the church. I imagine so. But great fear came on them, the fear of God, this reverential fear. It's not, a, it's not an afraid fear, afraid of him. Okay, uh, I talked to you last week about my dad. My dad, I, have a, I had a reverential fear. He's gone home to be with the Lord. I had a res- reverential fear for my dad. Reverential respect for him. But I was never afraid of him because I knew how much he loved me. So that's the way our Heavenly Father is, is we have this reverential fear and respect for Him. Well, Ananias and Sapphira, they didn't have the fear of God. And when they made the decision that they did, suddenly fear came, a reverential fear for God. So what does it mean to walk in the fear of the Lord? Let's talk a little bit about that. So I'm going to give you a couple definitions. The first one is this, is to hate sin. Scripture I read last week was Proverbs 8, 13. It says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, to hate sin. In Psalms 97, verse 10, though, it says, let those who love the Lord hate evil. Let those who love God hate sin. So the hatred of sin flows, again, out of the love that you have for God. So we, when we look at that word hate, though, to me... There are two words that are pretty abused in the English language. The most abused, I think, is the word love. Because, I mean, there's so many different definitions of how people use that word, love. I think hate is a similar word because it's skewed. Because we hate broccoli. You know, some people might hate broccoli. I don't. But, I mean, some people might hate vegetables in general. I hate this or I hate that. Well, in the two examples I'm getting ready to give you, hate is used in such a way that it's, it's, it's abhorrent or it's detestable. Bless you, Steve. God bless you. God bless you, Steve. Yeah, wow. Is that three in a row? No, it's good. So we used, literally, we used to have this girl that traveled on her team and she would sneeze. How many times in a row? Huh? It was like 20. And it sounded like that. It was like over and over. It was, it was wild. I mean, we, we looked at her and thought, it's, it, yeah, okay, I'm sorry. My, my wife's saying, get back on the highway. Okay, so the word hate in, in this example I'm getting ready to give you means to detest, to abhor, all right? So Numbers 25, turn over there if you want to. We're going to read a few scriptures in Numbers 25. How many of you remember a guy named Balaam? A guy named Balaam, okay. Balaam it was a guy that God had gifted him with the ability to be able, he was a, he, he had a gifting uh, to be prophetic, and, and the people that he blessed were blessed. The people that he cursed were cursed. And so what happened was the children of Israel are getting ready to come into the promised land. The king of Moab is very concerned. And so the king of Moab decides he wants to call Balaam and have him come and curse Israel. But there was a problem. You can't curse who God blesses. <laughs> so Balaam tried to curse them, but he couldn't. And he tried three different times. And by the third time, the king of Moab is upset because each time, instead of cursing him, he's blessing Israel. 
And so Balaam is really disappointed because he really wanted all that money that the king of Moab was going to give him. He said, I'm going to give you riches beyond your wildest dreams. So Balaam's thinking, how can I help him? I know I can't curse Israel. So he comes up with a plan. He says, I'll tell you, this is what you do. He said, I can't curse him because God has blessed him. He said, but I'll tell you what you should do. He said, you should, you should take all the women in Moab and dress them up, you know, real alluring and, and blend them in with the Israelites and get them to have relations with these ladies and, and get them to bow down and worship their gods. That will divide the nation. And it was a plan. And it was, it was a plan that nearly worked because what happened was they did. They brought the women in there and suddenly these uh, men of Israel are bowing down to their idols. They're prostituting themselves with these women right out there in the open. And so a plague came on Israel. Because God saw it and was not happy. He was angry. And so anyway, so um, Moses tells all of the leaders, he said, you need to go and kill all the guys that have slept with a, Mo with a woman from Moab. And before they can carry that out, here comes another Moabite woman right in front of Moses. And an Israelite man takes her into his tent. Well, then Phinehas, who's the grandson of Aaron, Aaron the priest, he's a Levite as well, he takes a javelin and follows them into the tent. And he pins the two of them together. Look at it in verse 8. It says, And he went in after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her body, so that the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. Notice what stopped the plague, because this is what to hate evil looks like. What does it mean to hate sin? What does that look like? It looks like Phineas taking a javelin and putting an end to the sin. He pins them together. What happens? Plague is stopped. You know what God does after that? He makes a covenant with Phineas. He said, because you did this. He said, I, I, I'm not going to take the priesthood away from the Levite family. It will always be a part of your family. And he makes other covenants with him. And, and it was amazing because it stopped the plague. 22,000 Israelites had died. And it stopped the plague. What stopped the plague? The hatred of sin. Okay, let's... I, what did Jesus say? In Matthew 18, Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, what are you supposed to do? Plug it out. Okay, I don't want anybody trying to pull your eyeball out, okay? It's talking about cutting off, getting rid of those things in your life that are causing you to sin. Well, how do I know what that is, Pastor Phil? Have you ever sat down and asked the Holy Spirit to reveal to you things that are drawing you into that sin that are, that's holding you captive, holding you in bondage? Have you ever asked the Holy Spirit to do that? Some people don't want to because they frankly enjoy the sin. Last week we talked about um, from Joy Dawson's book where she, um, Intimacy, what's it called, Ellen? Intimacy with God. Intimate friendship with God. That's what it is. And yeah, I, knew, I knew Ellen would know. <laughs> and 
and so we were talking about that and we were talking about the person that, that maybe they, they won't go out and commit adultery because they don't want the consequences in their life, but they don't hate the sin because they think on it. They meditate on it, but they're not willing to do it because the consequences are too great. That's not hating sin. That's, you can love sin and never participate physically. And that person could say, oh, I fear God. I've never slept with another woman. Well, Jesus, Jesus said, even if you do it in your heart, even if you look at, a, at another woman or another man, let's bring it into today, to lust after him, You've already committed adultery with them in, in your heart. Okay, so the hatred of sin, I ask the Holy Spirit to identify you. What is it that's holding me captive to the spirit of lust or whatever the sin is? And he will. Oh, I've had him do it. Don't watch that anymore. I don't even have to know. What, I don't even have to ask why. That's the amazing thing about having conversations with God. It's like he, you know exactly what he means. <laughs> When he says it, amen. So Jesus said, if it causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of heaven without it. Right? Let's look at another situation over in John chapter 2. Jesus comes into the temple. What does he see in the temple? He, seems, he sees a bunch of merchants and they're selling doves or selling sacrifices. So you didn't even have to bring your own sacrifice or maybe yours got destroyed on the way and you could buy a sacrifice there to be able to give it to God. And so when he sees it, he sits down and he makes a whip. Now I'm sure he was not happy when he saw it. But he, I, think, I think he made the whip because he's cooling off. Because those of you that are parents, as you're, have your kids ever done something that just made you... I could tell us... Can I tell a story here? So my... <laughs> Looking at my wife, I had, uh, I was a worship leader at a church that we were working at down in Texas, and, and I purchased, I had a studio in my office, and I bought these brand new reference monitors, and they're about 700 bucks a pop back then, and so the cones are all exposed on the front of the speaker. Well, my daughter one time had accidentally pushed one of the cones in. You know, because, I mean, they look like those things on, on your McDonald cups that you just want to push in, you know. And so she, she pushed it in. Well, miraculously, I was able to get it pushed back out. <sighs> and so Zach had heard that story. I'm telling on you, Zach, sorry. I don't mean to throw you under the bus, but I'm going to. But he, so Zach knows that story. He comes in my office one day. And I, I have to leave the office to go somewhere else and come back. And the cone is pushed in. And now I'm like, what are you doing? So we get home. I'm upset. And uh, they, he goes and gets the love rod. Goes to the room. Daddy needs to calm down. What am I doing? I'm making my whip. Yeah, I'm teasing. I am calming down so that I respond in love when it comes time to correct. I believe this is what Jesus is doing. Jesus says this, he comes in with his whip and he says in verse 16, he says to those who sold the doves, take these things away, do not make my father's house a place of merchandise. Boy, we got some repenting to do there, don't we? Then his disciples remembered 
that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. This is what to hate evil means. We have a zeal for his house that we will not allow sin in the door. We hate sin. So, you want to go over to Genesis 22. So what does it mean to walk in the fear of the Lord? Talked about hating sin. Next one is obedience. Obedience. Remember Abraham? Abraham was, was told to go and sacrifice his son. He left early the next morning. He's on the mountain. Now he, he's got his son on the altar, wrapped up. He takes his knife and he goes to obey the word that God spoke to him and to slay his son. And the angel stops him in verse 12 and says this, Do not lay your hand on the lad and do, uh, or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Listen to that statement. Now I know that you fear God. God can see the fear of God in you. It's visible. What, how is it visible? Through obedience. Mm. He said, because you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So, so the angel could see that fear. Disobedience is a lack of fear of God. I, I remember um, years ago, because I've heard John Bevere tell this story many times. How many of you remember a guy, Jim Baker, from PTL Club from way back, way back in the day? Yeah. And uh, he, was, he was arrested, went to prison, you know, the mishandling of money, and he'd had an affair and other things. And anyway, what happened was he got a hold of one of John Bevere's books in prison. And when he read it, he said, I want to meet with John. I want to see if he would come and meet with me. So John did. He went to the prison. He met with him. And Jim made a couple of interesting statements. One of the statements that he made while John was talking to him was that prison was not God's judgment on my life. It was his mercy on my life. Oh, that's quite a statement. Well, then John asked him this question. He said, when did you stop? When did you come to that place or arrive at that point where you stopped loving God? And Jim said, I never came to a place where I didn't love God. He goes, what do you mean? And he said, no, I, I never came to a place where I stopped loving God. What happened to me was I quit fearing him. Oh, that's a statement. Feeling like you love God because sometimes we get into this cozy Christianity and the fear of God begins to fade over here into the distance and we stop reverencing him. God becomes my buddy, my friend. I mean, I'm a friend of God. I'm a friend of God, Pastor Phil. Well, wait, let, let's, let's discover if you are or not. Let me, let me read a verse to you. I'm going to skip down here because this is really important to point out. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27, it says this. The fear of the Lord, ah, wrong verse, Psalm 25, verse 14. It says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. Friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. You're not a friend of God if you're not walking in fear, in other words. Because fear of him, not being afraid of him, but reverentially, well, you should in some areas, but it's that reverential fear 
Again, the fear of the Lord is for those. I'm sorry, friendship with God is for those who fear him. All right, now I got to get back up and figure out where I was. Okay, so this cozy Christianity thing. Let me read to you out of Psalm 130. It says in verse 3 that if you, Lord, should mark iniquity, O Lord, who could stand? In other words, if God was to point out our faults, how many of us would be able to stand righteous before God? Wouldn't happen, right? But it says in verse 4, but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared, that he may be feared. God. Proverbs 3 verse 7 says this, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Joy Dawson made another statement and I, I was reading it just this last week in the, in the book that we were talking about. She said this, she said, we have no spiritual authority outside of obedience to God. Man, think about that. That if you're outside of obedience and you need to pray the prayer of faith, ask God for something, there's no authority there because you're outside of obedience. Wow. Wow. Okay. So turn over to Exodus, Exodus 20. Say, Phil, this is a lot of scripture. Good. I've given my opinion in messages before and it has not gone well. I'd rather, <laughs> I'd rather give scripture, amen. So many people, you know, I was talking about or a moment ago about how people asking the Holy Spirit to reveal things to you and how some people don't want to do that because they're afraid of what might be pointed out in their life. And um, our family, we have a real open relationship with our kids when they were growing up and still do and, and where we could talk about anything. And sometimes it didn't feel good, but what it did was it exposed things in my life that I could now deal with because they were revealed to me in our conversation. And I love that about open conversation because sometimes you can be so closed off that you never discover any things about yourself and that, then, then that's where self-deception sets in. Yeah, so, so don't be afraid of God. He's not standing there with the ruler in his hand ready to smack your knuckles, you know, just because you, you ask him a question. You know, that that's not the kind of fear that we're supposed to have for God. We're supposed to have a reverential fear. But yet some of the children of Israel did. In Exodus 20, God delivers the children of Israel, brings them out of Egypt. He brings them all the way across the wilderness to a mountain that he wants to bring them up to him. God wants to come close to his kids. That was the plan all along. In fact, he told Abraham that. He made a covenant with Abraham, and when he made that covenant, he told Abraham, he said, listen, I'm going to raise up a nation under you, but they're going to go into uh, bondage for 400 years, but then they're going to come out, and then they will come to me, and I will be their father, and they will be my children. Okay, well, this is what happens. Now we're at that place in Exodus 20. Look at verse 18. It says, now the people witnessed, they're standing at the, the base of the mountain, now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. Must have been quite a sight. 
And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. (laughs) Yeah, they're backing up. They're saying, I don't know. I don't think I want to go up the mountain. And then Moses, listen to what he says. He tries to encourage them. He says, he says, uh, no, actually, they say to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And so Moses tries to encourage them in verse 20 and says, do not fear. How many times have we heard that in the Bible? How many times have we heard that? This is the other kind of fear. This is, I'm afraid of God. And that's why, that's why the angels... That's why Jesus said, do not fear, do not be afraid. So he says, do not fear, for God has come to test you that his fear may be before you and that you may not sin. When God's fear is before you, you don't want to sin. That's a lot to wrap your physical brain around, so you you have to grasp it with your spirit. Is that the fear of Lord? Uh, the fear of the Lord. Uh, you you love. Help me say it, Holy Spirit. You you love God so much that you would not want to ever do anything to pull yourself out of His presence. That you come into the tabernacle, which, by the way, Wednesday night's intimacy with God is so good because we're learning all about the tabernacle and coming into his presence. But you come all the way into the tabernacle when you're in the Holy of Holies and you're hidden in him where sin can't touch you, the enemy can't get to you because you're hidden in Christ. That's what it means to be hidden in Christ. Hidden from what? The enemy. I... I grew up my entire life in Oklahoma. I mean, we, we in Tulsa, we are so used to tornadoes there. I mean, I, I, I don't sleep well. I sleep the best when it's thundering and lightning outside. Because that's what I'm used to. That's what I grew up in. It was like comfort weather to me. And so I, we never had a safe room. Are you kidding? We got in the bathtub and threw a mattress over our head. That was our safe room was the the tub, you know. And so now I move into a house that has... A safe room. I've never had one before. I don't know what to do with it, so we just stockpile stuff in there. Because we don't don't know what to use it for. But that room is designed as a hiding place for you to come into that room to be safe from the enemy. Whether the enemy is a tornado or something else or someone else. Right? So we're hidden in God. We come all the way into the tabernacle. We're hidden in God in the Holy of Holies. In this place, the enemy can't touch us here, but disobedience takes us out of that place. Remember Jonah? God spoke to him. He said, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to speak against Nineveh. And what happened? He tried to run from the presence of God. He walked out of the Holy of Holies. Boop. Now I'm out here where storms can come, where they have to throw me overboard and I get swallowed by a big fish. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. So he said, do not fear, for God came to test you, that his fear may be before you, that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses, notice what Moses does. He drew near into the thick darkness where God was. I believe there was thick darkness because God can't let you see him. (laughs) Not in that situation. So why do people sin? God's fear is not before them. 
So what is the result of walking in fear? Let me give you some of the results of walking in fear. You ready? Psalm 112, verse 1. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his command. So blessing. Luke 1, verse 50, says that his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. Psalm 34, 9. O fear the Lord, you his servants, for those who fear him have no lack. No lack. Man, what a blessing there. Um, so Proverbs 14, verse 26. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children have a place of refuge, that hiding place. Psalm 25, verse 14. I just read it to you earlier. Friendship. The friendship of the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. And then Deuteronomy 5, verse 29 says, Oh, that they would always have hearts like this, that they might fear me and obey all my commands. If they did, they and their descendants would prosper forever. Think about a prosperous legacy that you would have. Glory to God. Proverbs 10, verse 27, the fear of the Lord prolongs days. You get a longer life through the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 30, oh, some of you ladies will like this one. Proverbs 31, verse 30, charm is deceitful, beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, ah, you're beautiful inside and out. I get amens from men on that. That's, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> so, so blessing, mercy, no lack, strong confidence, friendship with God, a prosperous legacy, long life, beauty inside and out. I think he's covered everything in the fear of the Lord, right? So how do I, let's, before I go there, promise robbers. In 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1, it says this, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit and let us walk toward complete holiness because we fear God. So, so the robbers can be anything that defiles the heart. So how do we depart from evil? Proverbs 16 verse 6 says, In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity and by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. That's how you depart. So how do you grow in fear? I'm almost done. Rebecca, come and help me. That way people know I'm ending. Land in the play. How do I grow in the fear of the Lord? Psalm 86, verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. And then Joshua 1.8. This is a very famous verse that you guys probably know that this book of the law shall not depart from my mouth, but I shall meditate on it day and night. <clears throat> that, that, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So he just gave us the, he just gave us the formula to the fear of the Lord. Read it do it. I don't see how Christianity could be more simple. We've had high-paid high people that have helped us confuse Scripture. I believe that's why Paul said, you know what, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I, nobody knew scripture better than Paul. But I believe that's why he stepped back and said, you know what, I, I determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because nothing else matters. 
Nothing else matters. Everything else is a, is a doctrinal division designed to destroy the house of God. That's one of the reasons that at this church that we are endeavoring to only know Jesus Christ and Him crucified and to preach what equals in your life redemption for you and your entire family. How do we understand the fear of the Lord? Proverbs 2 verse 1 says this, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as for silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God. This is not something that's just handed to you. Salvation was handed to you. It was given to you as a free gift. This you're going to have to go get. You're going to have to seek it out. You search out the scriptures and when the Holy Spirit convicts your heart and and he says to you, you're not doing that. Oh, you know what? I'm going to start doing that. That I become a doer of the word. That's what a doer of the word is. It's someone who does what the word says. I'm saying it because not everybody's doing it. Okay, two more. Can you handle two more? All right. Philippians 2, verse 12 says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And here's the conclusion. Here is where I land the plane. Ecclesiastes 12. You ready? It says in verse 13, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Okay, here it is. Fear God, keep his commands, for that is man's all. That's man's all, the fear of God and to keep his commands. Hmm, wow. can't add to scripture (laughs) I don't always preach this way but I just knew in my heart that God wanted to talk to some people this morning through his scripture and that we've not had the fear of God like we've needed to have it what do you mean Phil I mean sometimes we we accept things because they're culturally acceptable they're acceptable to the culture, but they're not acceptable to God. And this is what happens is many, many people, uh, Barna did a study, he found that 9% of Christians read their Bible every day. That's a, that's a terrible stat. 9% of Christians, I thought, well, psh, yeah, no wonder people are having issues. You don't know what scripture says. And so we have this great responsibility to go and to seek and to dive into Scripture and to find out what the Word of God says so that we can actually do it. Imagine every answer to your marital woes is in Scripture. 
Every answer to your wayward child is in Scripture. God put it in there. He put answers in there for everything. Answers that you didn't expect, they are in there, but we have to dive in to find it. Because you can't walk in the fear of God if you don't know what the fear of God says, what Scripture says. So we have this responsibility to not just dive in, but to be doers of the word that we read. 